We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We have uh, Sean. We're going to kick things off on today's mailbag. We got two super chats from the same person. The first one was just a nice little super sticker from Richard Mott. And then Richard gave us another one with a question. And that's how we'll kick things off today. All right. Thank you, Richard. Who decides which running backs and wide receivers are on the field for each play? Say OC calls play. Does he decide who is on the field or somewhere, someone else? Well, that depends on the staff and it's different at different places. What you want to do, and this is the right way to do it, in my opinion, you need to to have input from your coaching staff and your assistants during the week of practice. Hey, here's who my guys are at receiver. Okay, cool. Let's roll. But then when you put the game plan together, the offensive coordinator needs to have the final say on, hey, when we go here, I need to I want this kind of game, I want that kind of game. There needs to be a plan worked out from the staff that the running back coach knows here's who here's who we're playing and when. And we get to third down, I know it's my job to make sure I get Jabron Payne in the game because he's our third down back. When we get into short yardage, we've determined during the week, when we get in short yardage and we go 22 personnel, or, or uh, excuse me, uh, 12 personnel or 13 personnel, here's the back I want in the game when we go there in short yards. And then it's up to the running backs coach to make sure he has the right guys in the game. Hey, when we get into third down and we go 11 personnel, this is the package of receivers we've talked about wanting to have in the game. And then it's up to the receivers coach to make sure those guys are in the game. And you may talk in between series, hey, I want to take a couple shots deep this series. Let's make sure we get so-and-so in the game on this first couple plays because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we want to go deep here. And then it's up to the running backs coach to make sure – or the receivers coach to make sure those guys are communicated in the game. Those are all kind of parts of how this thing goes. And then so when you look at this season, the issue, one of the issues that Jared Parker had – and this is one of the compl- – I, th- I thought Jared Parker – you, Sean, you know my – I thought Jared Parker did a lot of good things this year. Mm-hmm. But one of my complaints was that he gave too much authority to his assistants. Mm-hmm. And then that got him in trouble in games because they didn't always have the right people on the field. And that's something that that Mike Denbrock's going to make sure he needs to do a better job of is making sure that they're all on the same page and they all, all know what's expected. The good news is when you look at the receivers coach and the quarterbacks coach, that's two assistant coaches that have been with Mike Denbrock for years, multiple years. And he's going to be having spent time at Notre Dame and Cincinnati. 
he's very familiar with who Joe Rudolph is and his reputation. And and Dela McCullough. I promise you they've crossed paths before with Dela McCullough and Mike Denbrock being in, in, in Indiana coaching college football for a number of years and having recruited similar regions. So there's going to be some level of knowledge of each of these assistant coaches. But when you walk in the door and you've done the things that Mike Denbrock has done, there's a level of, all right, I got you, coach, that maybe you you wouldn't – the previous two coordinate, previous three coordinators really didn't have because they were still proving themselves in different ways. Talking about Jordan Parker, Tommy Reese, and Chip Long. They were still very much proving themselves in certain ways. And so that, that to me, is the key. Is You put a lot on your coaches during the week of practice. Hey, let's talk about who's going to be in where, who does what well. These are the concepts we want to run. Who are your best guys to run it? But then when we get to the game and we've agreed that these guys are going to run them, you need to make sure that those guys are in the game when we do those things. And and most corners, you'll talk in between series, hey, I, we need to do this on this series. We need to be looking here. And then you know, hey, okay, cool. I need to make sure I got so-and-so in the game because when we want to push the tempo and we, we want to go with this package, you know, when we do our NASCAR series, this yeah. is who we game planned was in the game for that series and make sure that they get in the game, right? NASCAR is a team – a term some people use for their hurry up package, right? You know, go fast. Uh, you know, whatever you call, it. hey, this is our slowdown package. When we're here and we go 13 personnel, I got to make sure Cooper Flanagan's in the game because that's the guy we guaranteed is always in the you I don't care who the other two are, but you better make sure Cooper's in the game, right? For mm-hmm. block, that kind of thing. It's up to the position coaches to make those things happen, which during the game, a lot of times will, will also fall on the GA of the position coach that the offensive coordinator coaches. And so he'll be part of that process too. And that's where I've, I've said in the past, Ryan Mahaffey did a great job under Mike Dembrock back in 15, 14 and 15 as the GA on those teams because Mike Dembrock gave him a lot of authority to coach and be mm-hmm. responsible for – because he had to run the offense. It's, look, you know what the plan is. we got to make sure we're on the same page to get these guys in the game. It'll be kind of like that at tight end, whoever the tight end GA is. Yep. Moving for Notre Dame moving forward. Thanks for the super chat, Richard. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. 
Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Iris Blooded. Let's see. Back to back mailbag. Because we had one nice. on Friday. Okay. I know you aren't a huge NFL guy, but if you had the call to take Williams first in the draft or give Fields a better target and take Harrison Jr. Sean, so this is obviously uh, one you've spoken about in the past. I can only give you my opinion based on what I've heard about the players involved because I, I haven't watched Justin Fields. I've looked at his numbers, and the thing that I've said is Justin Fields, after the first four or five games, is a much different quarterback production-wise than, than he was. To me, here's my thing. I look at the Chicago Bears and what I know about the Bears. And again, this is a very, from a distance opinion. And a lot of my research is done because of conversations Sean's been a part of. I'm like, well, let me look into this and see kind of what my thought is. The Bears have a lot of needs, a lot of needs. And you can go get Caleb Williams, but everything around him, the head coach isn't any good. The OC is not very good. The, the, you know, I mean, it's just the organization needs a lot of help. And to me, I feel like it's a situation where I would I would actually not do either of those guys with the number one pick. I'd trade down three or four spots and then get more picks because you're probably going to get a number one next year. Mm-hmm. And then you can still have two top ten picks, get the best of whoever old tackles there at four or five, wherever you trade down to, get Alt or Olufashanu. I would go with Joe Alt. And then at 10, there's going to be if 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 Marvin Harrison's not there, there's still going to be Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunze. There's still going to be somebody, a Brock Bowers, you know, who could really fit well with Cole Komet. Like, that's the thing is if you take Brock Bowers, you don't have to get rid of Cole Komet because you can do a lot of two tight end stuff. Cole Komet's a little bit more traditional in his size and route running. Brock Wright's almost like a hybrid wide receiver, tight end kind of guy. Or if you want to take a more pure receiver, because I look at it like this. If you give Justin Fields and what I know of him, what little studying I've done of him, the, the right tackle from Tennessee that they got last year, uh, Joe Walt at left tackle this year, DJ Moore, I believe, is still with the Bears next year, correct? He's under contract. Mm-hmm. You got him plus Cole Komet. You add that left tackle plus you go get either, let's say, Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze, one of those two guys. Because in their other pick, like nine or ten, right? You go One and nine. One and nine. So let's say you one trade down nine. to five, four. You get Joe Walt. You pick up a first next year. You're sitting there at nine. One of Roma Dunze or or or, or uh, Malik Neighbors is going to be there. You add those two with Darnell Wright, with Cole Komet, with DJ Moore. Now all of a sudden, you can find out if Justin Fields is that guy or not. Because guys, there's going to be another Caleb Williams is going to come along in a few years if Justin Fields is not that guy. That's yeah. the Caleb Williams is a very talented player. To me, he's not a generational player from the standpoint of. You're not going to have a quarterback come along like him in 10 years. Like maybe you could have argued Peyton Manning was, or maybe you could have argued uh, Andrew Luck was, you know, a John Elway. He's not that, in my opinion. He's still the best quarterback in this draft class, in my view, as well. But he's not that kind of player that you're like, he's so good that you can't, like, like last year. 
I just I never understood Carolina giving up everything they went up to go up to number one to get Bryce Young. I like Bryce Young a lot, but he's not a generational quarterback that you sacrifice all that for to go get, especially when you've got a C.J. Stroud in the draft class, right? It's like I never understood. Didn't the Bears trade up to get Mitch Trubisky? Oh, please don't. In, in the same up. draft class, we have Pat. Mo- Even if Mitch Trubisky was what they thought he was, you don't give that up when there's also Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson in that same draft class for what we thought they were then, not even what they've become, but just kind of what we thought they were then. I'm a big believer in pieces. And as a Denver Bronco fan, I'm very sensitive to that because Sean, you and I are talking about this before the show. John Elway went to three Super Bowls with not much around him. Then they finally put good pieces around him later in his career. And he wins two Super Bowls when he's physically not the same quarterback he was before. And I've always said, if you had a better organization around him early, that put better pieces around him early. I mean, you're talking about a guy that could have won four or five Super Bowls. Yeah. That's how good he was. Yeah. At the end of the day, it does not matter how good you are as a quarterback. Look at what no. Pat Mahomes is going through this year. Elite generational talent. But he's lost a lot of weapons. One of his weapons is getting older, and he's distracted, right? And all of a sudden, Pat Mahomes looks human. Did Pat Mahomes at his age all of a sudden stop being a good quarterback? Or, I don't care how great you are, you need weapons. You need a team around you. That's the facts. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, right. I get that. And they're still going to, what they're still, but I think, you get to I think they go he looks to... more human because mm-hmm. the pieces around him aren't mm-hmm. as good. Because you can't, here, Sean, you can't catch your own passes. Yeah. You can't block for yourself. That's my point. It's like you yeah. finally give John Elway, Rod Smith, and Shannon Sharp, and Ed McCaffrey, mm-hmm. and Gary Zimmerman, and Tony Jones, and Mark Slareth, and Brian Habib, and Tom Nalen, and Terrell Davis in a decent defense. All of a sudden, John Elway can't be beat. He beats Brett Favre. The next year, they go fourteen and two. They almost, you know, they get all the way to thirteen and 0, fourteen and zero actually thirteen and zero before they lost to the Giants. Yeah, going to the playoff, whoop the you know whoop the Dolphins, beat the Jets by two touchdowns. Play the 14 and two Falcons, whoop their butts, and he's 38 years old, right? Because, and well, yeah, John Owe didn't win until they finally put pieces around him, exactly, right? That's like, most, like Joe Mustana had, like, like yeah. every every quarterback that's won, you know, it's like, you, you know, you why, why didn't Barry Sanders ever get to the Super Bowl because he never had a team good enough to get there? You can't do it by yourself, and that's my thing is I would just like to see what Justin Fields can do with a better supporting cast and in an organization that says, hey, dude. You're our guy. And if the Bears choose not to take Caleb Williams, that is a commitment to say, you're our guy. And if he's not your guy, you have great pieces to then go find a quarterback in the next couple draft classes to then put into a system that's cooking. You get what I'm saying, Sean? So, like, to me, Mm -hmm. you commit to Justin, but if he isn't that guy, then, okay, in two years, you're still in the top ten, but you got these really good young pieces around him to plug that quarterback into. And that's kind of the way I look at it. That's what I would do. And I know you're very similar in that thought process as far as keeping Justin and not taking Caleb. No, because there's honestly, things to fix. honestly my, they're a bad organization. It doesn't make a difference. Until the organizational structure changes, this is an organization that didn't allow the GM to hire the current head coach and allowed the previous GM to literally leave the room sneak on the phone and go against the scouts and the head coach, John Fox, who wanted Pat Mahomes to draft Mitchell Trubisky. This is, there's no checks and balances, none. And when you get rogue stuff like that, 
where the owner is hiring the, is hiring the head coach instead of the GM. And then you don't have checks and balances on the GM that can go rogue and make one of the worst decisions in the world when you're sitting pretty to get two elite quarterbacks and you end up with the, the clunker of the group. Bringing, dude, bringing in Williams isn't changing that. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not changing that. And they've already proven that they don't know how to put talent around Justin Fields. They, Dude, they lucked into the first pick last year and got DJ Moore. Right? But they still haven't figured out the offensive line. The offensive line is awful. Awful. And even if they picked up extra picks and traded down, they wouldn't take Joe Alt. They wouldn't. They wouldn't solidify. They will stick with this average offensive line and have Justin Fields come back. And what they're about to do, if they bring in Caleb Williams, they're going to bring Caleb and Williams in with a coach that has that is a lame duck head coach that if he fails next year, he's going to be gone. And they're going to do the same thing they did to Justin Fields. They're going to force a young quarterback in his second year to switch over to a new head coach, new right. OC, and a new system. It's right. a bad organization. All the things you mentioned, Brian, in your examples, became good. The Broncos finally became a good organization. And what happened? And they were always solid. But they right. became like, yo, this is the way right. you win games. Good right. organizations know how to build right. around quarterbacks. Because what did they do, right? They went out and traded for Gary Zimmerman, right? Mm-hmm. They went out and signed Mark Schlereth. They drafted Terrell Davis. Now, they didn't think Terrell was going to turn into what he was, but still, mm-hmm. they liked him. They went out and drafted Rod Smith and Shannon Sharp, signed Ed McCaffrey outside, went out and drafted John Mobley, but then went out and signed Neil Smith and Alfred Williams. You know, went out and signed Ray Crockett, traded for Darian Harper. You still had Steve Smith that had always been around. You still had Tyron Braxton who'd always been around. So there's always this combination of you got to go get the right pieces and you got to draft well. Mm-hmm. And that later Broncos organization did a pretty good job of that. And they, But they finally said, we're not going to ask John to be it. We're gonna we're gonna put pieces around him, and we saw what happened. But it, it's the same thing in in New England. You know, early on, Tom Brady had good pieces around him, but he had great defenses. Later on, they put they focused more on putting the the offensive pieces around him, right? Right, and they won the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, you say, well, Peyton Manning had great players around him. That's why he was so good. Well, yeah, that's yeah. what that's that's not an insult to him. Yeah. You give him pieces, and he's gonna you know he's gonna make everybody be the, the best that they can be. And that's what you need to do. And uh, like you said, the, somebody put some in the chat. The Bears have been rebuilding since 1985. I thought that 1986. I thought that was great. I, yeah. I, th- I think at the beginning of the Lovey Smith era, I don't know what took place, but it seemed like, especially from a draft standpoint, you're talking about yo they they got Tommy Harris, they got Brian Urlacher, they got Lance Briggs. Yeah. Like they were hitting. Like Didn't, wasn't Cedric Tillman on that team too? Cedric Tillman was not. Uh, not Did he come Cedric, later? Not Cedric. Is it Cedric? Cedric Tillman? Yeah, Benson. Cedric Benson. And then uh, no, I was Peanut talking about Tillman. the corner. Peanut Tillman. But his name's Cedric. Isn't Charles. It? His name is Charles. Ch- okay. Charles Tillman. Yeah, yeah. But I thought you, when you said Tillman, I don't know. You said Cedric. I mean, yeah. No, no, you're Benson, good. Yeah, but, Charles Tillman. Yeah, you're you know, and then they had um, John Tate and Reuben Brown at tackles. It's like, dude, you, if you're going to win the trenches half football, this is GM 101, 
high school coach one-on-one, college recruiting one-on-one. If you want to win, build the trenches. Guys. It happens. Look, Sean, Cedric Williams, year one, better team around. Or Scott, Cedric Williams. Caleb Williams, year Mm -hmm. one at USC. Great, pretty good stuff around him, right? They lose a lot of those players. Same guy, same system. They're a seven and five football team. I don't care who you are, quarterback. You need pieces around you. Mm-hmm. you. You just do. And if you don't, you're just not going to be that good. And so at the end of the day, I believe that's what I think that they should do. And Sean, you and I are on the same page yeah. on that one. All right, let's get to some more questions. We got some Notre Dame questions coming up. And that problems, but BK ain't one. Thank you for the mail, Dad. What would an ideal 2025 recruiting class look like by position group? By ideal, I don't necessarily mean what you think the indie staff would do, but what you would do while still being realistic. Well, I mean, gosh, they're almost ha- they're probably halfway yeah, to their done, right? Class, right. I mean, you know, so to me, I I personally, this some people aren't going to like this. Obviously, you look at they've got the quarterback in place. They've got the tight end in place. There's some positions where Notre Dame is in a a good place, right, with the 25 class. I like the D-line class. I would go after Damian Shanklin. I've talked about that. You know, I I would keep my eyes open for a a, uh, a D-tackle to emerge. The problem is it's not a great D-tackle class. And as much as I like Jarquez Carter, I think he's a dude. He is a little undersized, and that kind of concerns me just a tad, you know. But to me, I would I would still see if there's any stud running backs out there that you could eventually maybe flip. That receiver, I would go hard after uh, Dalen McCutcheon. I'd go hard after Derek Meadows. I'd go hard after Cooper Perry. I'd go hard after Quincy, uh, Quincy Porter. I'd go hard after Taylor Taylor. I'd go hard after uh, Raiden Vines Bright. Those six, and give me three of them. That would be my goal. Did I say Cooper Perry? Because Cooper Perry mm-hmm. would be in that conversation for me. Yep. Uh, offensive line, I mean, you've already got Will Black in the class. You're between Marty Augustine, Jack Lang, Owen Strebig, and Josh Petty, I would take at least two two of those guys. But honestly, I'd load up. If I could take all of them, I'd take all of them. Four-man <laughs> class, I, I really yeah. would. I'd take Matty Augustine, I'd take Josh Lang, I'd take Owen Strebig, and then I'd still keep recruiting Josh Petty. Yeah. You know, Probably not going to get him, but I'd still recruit him. You know, so to me, um, uh, that's kind of how <laughs> some people kill me. Brandon, yes, I know they have undersized guys in their roster, but you can't keep recruiting undersized players. And those guys were primarily recruited to be backups. At some point in time, you have to get bigger. And how many titles has Notre Dame won with all those undersized defensive tackles on their team? Right? You're not, they're you're trying not getting to build under 100 yards. Yes, yeah. they're trying to build to something. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I would do offensive line, linebacker class. I'd recruit the heck out of Marco Jones, knowing that he might eventually grow into a defensive end too. But I, I would recruit him very hard. I would recruit um, uh, Anthony Saka very hard. I love that kid. I'd recruit Nathaniel Owusu botang very hard. I would recruit Noah McHale very hard. Uh, Jack, Jack, Gavin Nix, I'm kind of back and forth. I love his film but he's just a little on the short side for me. And then I got to watch Brett Clatterball's junior film. I haven't watched his junior film a lot. I, 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 some people I know like it. I would go for a third safety if you get Ethan Long tonight, which we'll talk about. We have questions about that. I'd still recruit Jadon Blair. And then cornerback, I'm putting all my eggs into a trio of Dallas Golden, 
Devin Williams and Mark Zachary, and I'd take two, the first two that want to come. And if you really, really hit it, then you're taking – that means you get Dallas Golden. I think Dallas Golden is a dude. I would I think, love to get it Dallas I, Golden. I think and that's one heck of a class to me right there, Sean. Yeah, I think you got the class up to like 25. <laughs> like, like to me, like, you know, get six receivers that you're mm-hmm. recruiting, you take three. Yeah. You know, you go four offensive linemen, so that's a quarterback, two running backs, a tight end, two receivers, four offensive lines, 11. You're going to take six defensive linemen, that's 17. Three linebackers, that's 20. Three safeties, three, I mean, get to 26. I mean, to me, yeah. like that's where they need to – they need to load up in this class. Yeah. Because then there's yeah. some older players that, that, that you don't bring back for fifth years. You're going to have some transfers, and it's a deep, deep class. I would load up on this class. And knowing, like, look, guys, here's the reality. Somebody from this current class is going to decommit. It, last year's it class happens all the time. Super locked in. But they still had a couple of decommitments. They still lost Brandon Davis Swain. They still lost Owen uh, Wafel. And there was one other kid that they lost, too, if I remember correctly. Wasn't there one other kid that they lost, like, early on? I forget. But they had – someone's going to flip, whether it's their choice or Notre Dame's. Right, Right. exactly. I mean, they're going to have kids leave the class. That's just the way that it goes. But, uh, you know, so so those are the those are the things to me. Twenty five to twenty six is as high as I'm going to go. I'm not going much higher than that, to be honest with you. They don't need much more than that, because because now you're going to want to start talking about you you can go too far. Isaiah Canyon. That's the other one. The receiver. I knew there was like a skill guy that committed. That was super weird. Yeah. Isaiah Canyon. That's that's the one. So, yeah, thank you, Matt Brosha and uh, Darren Smith both mentioned that one like about the same time. So, yes, I knew there was somebody. Um, I mean, there's other – like Christian Jones is another really good linebacker that I like in the 25. It's such a loaded clash on. It's like at linebacker, yes, I love Noah McHale, and I love Marco Jones. But it's kind of like if you don't get them, but you end up with, you know, Christian Jones Christian and Anthony Jones, Saka. Anthony Saka. And, you know what I mean? It's like you're still loaded there. I mean, it's yeah. such a good cornerback. Same. I love Dallas Golden. Love Dallas Golden. But if you end up with Mark Zachary, Cree Thomas, and Devin Williams, and Devin Williams you have a great okay. corner class. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, so that's the good thing that you're you're in a position now where, you know, same at receiver. Like, if I could design – like, Derek Meadows is a guy I know the Notre Dame staff loves. I'm just not as high on him. I like – I, I agree My problem staff. is like he him. doesn't – can't catch the – he doesn't catch very well. Very well. That's kind of a big thing. That's kind of a prerequisite for a wide right? receiver, right? Like, yes, I know he's six six and fast and all these tools, but like, doesn't catch the ball very well. He's a Kansas City receiver. Huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can get open all you want. You got to catch the ball, but like, but even him. But if he's one of my three, I'm taking a chance on a guy like that because he has the elite tools, and you've done so well in the last two years that you can afford to take a chance, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I'd be okay with him. And then if you can pair him with, you know, to me. I'm you know Taylor Taylor is is one that I absolutely love. I absolutely yeah. love that kid. And then give me like a Dalen McCutcheon, McCutcheon or Cooper Perry, mm-hmm. one of those two. So it's like this, Sean. Give me Derek Meadows or Quincy Porter. Either one, I'm thrilled with. Mm-hmm. Right. Then give me sort of the 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 route runner, great hands guy, either Dalen McCutcheon or Cooper Perry, one of those two. And then give me the playmaker, which is Taylor Taylor. Right or Raiden Vines Bright, one of those two are their playmakers. You give me one of each of those pairs, 
Yeah. Then I got a boundary, a slot, and, and a Z, and I feel like that's a great receiver class. Even if it's not the top guy, even if you get like, let's say Derek Meadows is one, Quincy Porter's two, just for argument's sake. Yeah. Let's say Taylor Taylor's one, and then Raiden Vines Bright is two. Let's say Dalen McCutch is one, and Cooper Perry's three. Yeah. Let's say you end up with your two at each spot, and it's Cooper Perry, Raiden Vines Bright, and Quincy Porter. That's a really good receiver class. I don't have good receiving class. So, and, and the same thing at corner. Same thing a linebacker. They have they're after such a high level of player that even if they don't get their top guys, they're still getting really good players. And they got their top guy at quarterback. They got their top guy at tight end. They got one of their top guys at corner already. They got their top big end. So they've landed some of their top guys already. Now Davion Dixon's a guy I know that they're incredibly high on. That's going to end up being a much bigger pickup than people realize because he's a good mm-hmm. football player, but it's also a very weak defensive line class, defensive tackle class. And a lot of the D tackles out there are undersized kids, which they're just not really trying to add a whole lot more to. That's the interesting thing, right? In a very fertile wide receiver group in 25, you now have a new archetype. So now we get to watch Mike Brown and see what his preferences are. Because this is all about evaluation. Like, we can sit up here and talk about all the kids that we love, but this comes down to who the staff likes. Like, you pointed right. out Meadows, right? Yeah. The question the I would ask, though, is, like, what I would do. Yeah, I, I know. Right. But I'm, right. I'm just saying that's going to be the interesting thing for us. We know who we would go after. But it's going to be interesting watching a new archetype for the wide receiver class and how he lines up with what we think is going to happen or should happen moving forward. That's, the, that's one of the things in the 25 class that I think everybody is going to have fun just watching how it plays out. Like, okay, who are the guys that they've pushed hard for? I may not like a guy, to your point, but they may love a guy. I may love a guy that they don't. I mean, that's always part of it. And there might be an offer that comes from nowhere. Right. That there was a pre-existing relationship. Some kid's going to come to camp this summer and ball out, and they're going, wow, we got to go after this guy. We have to go after this kid. But the good news is, is I do think that I'm on the same page of the staff with a lot of the positions. Mm Mm-hmm. Safety, corner, linebacker. There's no guy that they're recruiting a linebacker that I'm like, why are you recruiting that guy? Like mm-hmm. Josiah Key is probably the closest there is to me to like a – I'm not sure I would take him just now. Defensive line-wise, like, you know, Joseph Reef, I still am like, uh, okay, I see what you're doing, but I don't know that I would have necessarily taken him that soon. But, again, I didn't see him at camp. They did, right? So I'm mm-hmm. trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I really hope Jerome Bettis Jr. proves me wrong. I really hope I do. He does. I hope that kid makes me look so. But for me, I just don't see a Notre Dame caliber player right now. I just don't. I, I love the kid's dad. I love the kid. I've been told this. You know, here's what I was told. I was told that the reason Jerome hasn't committed yet is because he wants to kind of prove himself more so that if he does commit to Notre Dame, it's it, people won't question why Absolutely. i respect if if that's true i respect the heck out of the kid for that mm-hmm. the heck out of the kid for that 
but I just haven't seen it yet on film. But I mean, but the, he's already up to like, I'm told he's up to six, three. He's like, I mean, he's a big kid. Like he's, he's, he reminds me a lot of I, what they're banking on is that he's the next Bryce young in that, you know, he's got the, he looks the part, but he, he's not a great player. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom. The DNA it takes happens. over his senior year. Yeah. And he's a great player. And I think that's what Notre Dame is hoping happens. Yeah. I just have to be honest. And I just, I don't see it, but I hope that he proves me wrong. If he comes to Notre Dame, because I, I, you know, I mean, you know how I feel about his dad as a player. Yeah. And just to thinking about like, could you imagine being Jerome Bettis Jr. and kind of always wanting to go play where your dad played and having that opportunity to do so? It's a great story. Yeah. Great story. So I hope he proves me wrong. I, I really do. But he wasn't on my list because I just don't see it. And I was asked what I would do. I just don't see it with Jerome yet. I really don't. I mean, right now, Quincy Porter is just a way better player than him, in my opinion, right now. You're right um, about that. You know, I hate, you know, again, I hope he proves me wrong. I really do. But that's what I, I mean. I have to also be honest, and that's what I see. And um, you know, we'll see kind of how he develops over this next year. God country, Notre Dame barbecue. That's four pretty good things right there. Mm-hmm. We kept on. Yes, I like that. Yes, <laughs> can you guys compare KBA and Manti at this stage in their career? Thanks for the second to none content. IB always look forward to the show. You know, it's interesting because a buddy of mine was asking me about that this weekend. Mm-hmm. So I actually went back and watched some old Manti film. Mm-hmm. And essentially, high, high school or high school, early Notre Dame? Okay. High school, yeah. Because Man, Manti in college got too big, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, they mm-hmm. put too much weight on him. That was an issue that the early strength program had, is they guys just got too big and slow, lost a step. And and so Manti was a phenomenal player. There's They're very similar players. Manti to me was just a little bit more explosive athletically at the same age. Manti was just slightly more reactive. I think they're both instinctive, but Manti just had this really special read and react instantaneous thing where he would just see it and go really fast, a little bit better than Kingston. And, and so that's why Manti was a five-star and Kingston's just outside of it. Manti was just it was, it was a little thicker, but there, but Manti to me, was just a little the, the big thing was the the athlete the explosiveness and Manti was more Manti was one of the most physically powerful linebackers I've ever seen like I'm talking about the high school I mean we know he was in college he was a very punishing hitter in college mm-hmm. Kingston can stick Manti would run through you like he just had that very rare twitchiness at the point of contact Sean I mean I'm watching stuff like he was breaking dudes in half in high school and and Manti was a special he just it's like two guys can be great but one guy's just and they're very similar players but one guy's just a little bit greater mm-hmm. in all those categories and that's kind of how I feel about about Manti versus Kingston they're very similar characters through the roof leadership through the roof instincts exceptional I just have felt like when I watch Kingston he's just not quite as explosive athletically as Manti was He's still a good athlete. Don't get me wrong, but he's a top 50 national athlete. Manti was a top 10 national athlete at that size. Does that make sense? So both great players, but Manti was just greater coming out. And I'm talking about where they were in high school, not what they became. If Kingston is even 90% of the player Manti was in college, he's going to be phenomenal because Manti was a tackling machine at Notre Dame. I mean, that guy's numbers. I mean, 
I, I'm going to pull it up just to give you guys a. a I'm a, very a, interested because the system Manti played in and who he played behind. Yeah. Manti, Sean, yeah. as a rook, as a freshman, had 63 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss. Year two, 133 tackles, nine and a half tackles for loss. Year three, 128 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, five sacks. And then as a senior, he has 113 tackles, only five and a half tackles for loss, only one and a half sacks, but he has seven interceptions. Like Manti finished his career with 437 tackles, 34 tackles for loss and eight and a half sacks, seven interceptions as a linebacker. You know what that sounds Middle like, Brian? It sounds like every offseason somebody questioned his play, and he answered the question the yeah. very next season. He doesn't rush the quarterback. <laughs> All right, cool. Oh, he doesn't. He can't cover anybody. All right, cool. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? It's like, yes, you are correct. Uh, I mean, he was just a special, special player. Yeah. And I know that the stuff that went down kind of has taken away from that, but I wish we could kind of ignore that and get ignore back to that. talking about Manti as the player. Oh, Manti was, was a yeah. special special talent. Kingston is the closest thing to Manti in body type, instincts, size, and how he plays. His film is the closest thing to Manti that Notre Dame has signed. He's just not quite where Manti is right now. Because I just think Manti is a little bit more explosive and a little bit more powerful. But again, that's comparing a top 50 guy to a top 10 guy. They're both great prospects. Both great prospects, no doubt about it. I, I think one of the things that stands out, and I'll say this, I remember when they first started recruiting him, uh, Malik coached against him. And Malik was like, the first thing Malik said was, yo, I thought he would be much bigger. And so then Ryan calls me from San Antonio last week, and he's like, yo, I thought he would be much bigger. It's like, yo, it, I think he is like, have you ever been around someone that was like smaller in statue, but their presence just fills the mm-hmm. room? Like they're so much. That's like, how Manti was, yeah. Yeah, they play much bigger. And like, KBA kind of has that feel. Like he's going to add, you saw the picture they all right. took together. You're like, oh, he's just lean. Right. Like he's really, right. man, when he starts adding muscle, yeah, he could probably get up there yeah, a little bit. First time I was so... around Manti, Sean, I had that same reaction. Like, he's not as big as I, now he still kicked yeah. the mess out of me, but like, he's not <laughs> as big as I, because like on film, he just looks like this giant, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then you like, like Michael Floyd was that way for me. Mm-hmm. Like, like I watched this kid on film and he just looks taller and long, you know, and, but then you just see him and you're like, he's not as big as I thought, but then, but he just, but the way he plays like Manti, like, his six it's almost like the 50s. pads go on him, and all of a sudden he just turns into yeah. like a superhero. Right, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like I think of like a Transformer kind of thing. You know what I right. mean? Like, the, you know, or, or like Marvel. You know, it's like, you know, you see Tony Stark, and then all of a sudden the, the Iron Man thing comes on. I mean, like, okay, right. right? Like the suit comes right. on, and now he's he's a bad dude, right? So uh, that that to me is is the difference to me. They're both great. They're very similar in a lot of ways. Manti was just a touch bigger and a touch more explosive and just a touch more instinctive. But again, you're comparing Kingston to the kid that I believe is one of the two most instinctive linebackers I've ever seen at the high school level. And ironically, they both came out in the same class. It's Manti and Luke Keekley, two most instinctive high school linebackers I've ever seen in my life. And they both were in the 09 class and both wanted to come to Notre Dame. It's just that one of them, the staff wanted and one of them, they didn't. They didn't want Luke Keekley. He wanted to come to Notre Dame. They wouldn't take him. They like Dan Fox better. 
That's why whenever Simpson says, the staff knows better than you do. No, they don't. Not always. Not always. Because there was a coaching staff in Notre Dame that thought Jake Golick was a better player than Tyler Eifert until uh, Tyler Eifert came to camp. There's a coaching staff in Notre Dame that thought that Michael Schofield was a better offensive lineman than Zach Martin. All right, so let's let's not always just assume that the Notre Dame coaches know everything. Right? So, yeah. Andy estimates trucking LLC ready for the mail bag. God forbid Mickens leaves the program this offseason, but if that becomes reality, who do you think Coach Marcus Freeman will go after to replace him, or who would you be interested in Notre Dame going after? I don't really know enough about who would be interested to give an opinion on this. I'll just say this. When it comes to DB coaching, it's like that to me is like the quarterback coach on defense, on offense, right? Like you need a great line coach and you need a great quarterbacks coach. In my opinion, Marcus Freeman is absolutely going to prioritize making sure he gets the best of the best of that position because the whole defensive system revolves around being able to play man coverage and play cornerback, have cornerback play at a high level. That's why he had Mike Mickens at Cincinnati. It's why he made sure Mike Mickens stayed here. If Mike Mickens ever leaves, that would be something he, I I just, it's like, I don't want Mike Mickens to leave. And and I don't know that there's a better coach out there at cornerback, Sean. Man. But I feel like whoever's out there that's the best of the best, Marcus Freeman's going to go after. Yeah. Because he understands how important that position is to Notre Dame's defensive future. So I, I there's a confidence for me that whoever they get would be – that person would be pretty good. And they've shown this offseason that money's not going to be an issue. Now here's the key for Notre Dame. They spent the money to go out and get top coaches. Here's what Mike, Marcus Freeman needs to be – politicking for now give me the money now to make sure mike mickens doesn't leave Mm. right like if i can't give him the position he wants i need to then reward him with money because this is a position that was outside of like one or two years the last 20 years has been a weakness at notre dame outside of 2018 and 2002 and like you know, it hasn't been a strength. It, it's it been solid some years. It was solid in 2012, but it's never been what it is now, which is elite. And it's been elite now for two years in a row, and it's not slowing down, and it's because of Mike Mickens. So let's make sure that we take care of him. I mean, because, like, Mike Mickens, to me, this year did at cornerback what Mike Denbrock did with his old offense, right? Like, it was, like, mm-hmm. top five, as good as you're going to get in the country. Holy crap. That guy should be one of the three to five highest paid corner DB coaches in the country, flat out, because he's been one of the three to four best DB coaches in the country last year. I mean, this is a guy that that when he got here, built a built a championship corner. I mean, a playoff caliber cornerback room with a guy that in 2023 was your fifth corner. Mm-hmm. Think about that. And he still coached them up and then said, okay, but now we need to get better players. And he went out and recruited better players. People say, why didn't Ryan Barnes and Chance Tucker pan out? <clears throat> Who's to say they didn't? It's just Ben Morrison's better, right? Jaden Mickey's better. Christian Gray's better. Doesn't mean those kids aren't good football players. It just means they recruited even better ones. And then, of course, they had to deal with, with Cam Hart, who was older. Mm-hmm. So he needs to they, – they, they need to do whatever it takes to make sure that Mike Mickens is willing to say no to being a D coordinator 
to stay on here, knowing that, hey, God, look, I, Al Golden's time is going to come to an end here most likely sooner rather than later because of whatever his career goals. He's not going to be here for five, six years. You, you don't think. Just stick with us. You're still in your 30s. Mike Mickens is still a young dude. He's younger than Marcus Freeman. So he's he can be patient, but you got to make it worth his while to be patient. And he's one of the five best DB coaches in the country. He should be paid accordingly. I would make him the highest paid DB coach in the country because it's harder here than it is at the places where the other DB coaches. Oh, absolutely. 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 Like that is the position where it is hardest. Defensive end and cornerback are the two positions that's hardest for a place like Notre Dame to land top players consistently. Consistently. And for him to do it year after year after year is impressive. And he's consistently been, in my opinion, at least top three with some of the top guys. Right. right, like Jalen and Bachway was always going to Alabama. Like Alabama wasn't but allowed him to be about Mike but He raved about Mike Mickens. Yeah, raved well, about. And and they beat Alabama and Washington. Jimmy Lake, Washington, yes. for Christian Gray. Mike Elko, as good of a recruiter as he was, could not beat Jimmy Lake for Kyler Gordon. He loved Kyler Gordon, and couldn't get him. Mike Elko was a great recruiter. But he could not beat Jimmy Lake. Could not beat Jimmy Lake for the other corner they had. Could not beat Jimmy Lake for Asa Turner. Could not beat him for a lot of guys. Mike Mickens comes in. He's got a sister that went to Washington. Nick Saban recruited him to Bama, and Mickens beat him. They beat the two schools that are in competition for DBU the last five to ten years, LSU and Ohio State. He beat both of them for Christian Gray, and they hired Christian Gray's high school coach at LSU. Still who's beat no, him. Who's no longer employed. Correct. But still beat him. You know, so so it's been impressive what he's done to recruit the cornerback position. I, I really love is. you, Mike Elko. If for nothing else that you saved me, the embarrassment of Asa Turner ending up at Washington. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yep. Yep. Because there Absolutely. was a bet that I had with Brian Driscoll that would have gone over the Irish breakdown airwaves and uh Have been bad, yeah. That would be real. Can somebody bad. bring a gurney, please. <laughs> it's like that scene from uh, what was it? Um, the movie with Martin Lawrence and Tim Robbins, nothing to lose, nothing to lose. Yeah, he's hanging on by the thing. He's get bring get tell call him, tell him to bring a gurney. <laughs> it's just so funny, so funny. Oh, oh my goodness, that was a that was a very interesting combination. When I saw the previous that movie, I was like, I don't know if that duo. It's gonna, it's it gonna work. It, it was did. phenomenal. Mm-hmm. When when Tim Robbins cusses at the at the guy because yeah. he, he freeze. He's like, which one was more scary? He goes, well, he what? led me to believe that if I move <laughs> one inch, he <laughs> that worked for you, yes, yeah. sir, yes, well, sir. And that was blue from old school. Mm-hmm. Well, he led me to believe that if I moved one inch, he would blow my whatever off. And it's just like it's just that debate they're having with this guy, like. Which is scary? Which is scary? You know, yeah. it's like uh, he was scarier. Oh, you were scary too. Oh, you're just saying that. No, no, I, you were really scary. That's such a great movie. Such a great movie. Oh my goodness! But it worked. That duo worked. Mm-hmm. That duo worked, and I did not think it was going to work. Once again, estimate trucking LLC. Assuming Osbury and Sneed play equal or close to equal snaps, who would you project has the better production on paper at the end of the season, and who would you project has the bigger impact? 
Well, it depends. I think if they played the same amount, I think Jalen C would have more tackles for loss and sacks. I think Jaden Osborne would have more tackles because they're different players. Jalen Seed is a downhill, sick him on the ball, sick him on the quarterback type of guy. Jaden Osborne is really smart, really instinctive, athletic. He would be the guy that if he was your top linebacker, is going to be your top tackler. He's going to rack up 115 tackles at will, like J.D. Bertrand had a couple years ago. But he's even more athletic than J.D. was. So to me, it would it would depend on what type of production we're talking about. But if we're talking about like tackles and that consistency – it would be Jaden Osbury. If we're talking about impact tackle for loss type numbers, the more noticeable quote-unquote impact plays, it would be Jalen Steed because you'd have to use him as an attacker. Where Jaden is more of that true linebacker that the the read and react, the flow to the football, the rack up a mess of tackles kind of guy that's always around the ball, that's Jaden Osbury. Jalen Steed's more of the weapon, right? Like sick him on the ball. Here's what you're going after the ball. That would be the difference for me. So good, good question, Sean. You you agree, disagree? Thoughts on that? You said it perfectly. No need for me to add anything. PQ, what it do? Which incoming recruit has the widest gap between their floor and ceiling? That's a good question. For me, there's one player on both sides of the ball that that is just to me the the easy, it's somewhat of an easy answer for me. On offense, it's Styles Prescott. Like to me, Styles Prescott, Styles Prescott has a lower floor than Gerby Lambert. Like Gerby Lambert's like big time and he's not there yet, but he's still good enough where you're like, that guy could could help you as a freshman. Styles Prescott is the kind of guy that could never play at Notre Dame or be a top 50 in NFL draft pick. Like that's mm-hmm. what I see from Styles Prescott. Yeah. I see a guy that's got athleticism, he's got power, he's got toughness. He just has to fill out his frame. And he's got to learn to bend better. I have a difference of opinion with some. Some people say he's a little tight hip, Sean. Other people say, I don't think he's tight hipped. I think his technique makes him look tight hipped. Because I see other times where I think he moves real fluidly. And so I think I think Styles has a very high ceiling. He's just going to need time to get there. My answer on defense before 2023 season was Bryce Young. But we saw him get closer to that. So now my answer has changed a little bit. It's Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas mm. right now is also a very low floor guy. He's 210, 215 pounds. He's, he just gets by on athleticism right now. Even in a place like St. Edwards, he just got by on athleticism. Uh, to me, uh, he's a guy that's got a very high ceiling, but he's going to need a lot of time to get there. That's my two. Who would your two be, Sean? <sighs> I know who it would have been, but his film and his production this year changed. But I'm going to go do right off the bat. Immediately, I went to Kennedy Erdlach. I just, okay. I just did because I think he's a kid. You, you trust the DNA, right? You just trust, you just trust the DNA. His dad played safety. Eventually, got moved to linebacker as he picked up weight. I don't think that's the same path for him, but I think he can be a really good player at Notre Dame. I can't because look, we can talk about recruiting at the position. Chris O'Leary can coach the position. He can coach the position. And if the athleticism, if the jump happens, athletic, because I thought he got better athletically in his senior season, his tape was much better. But I think what he could become and, like, my thoughts on him initially, I think he would be a prime candidate for that, in my opinion. You go to the offensive side of the ball, 
Styles Prescott is very interesting because when you brought it up, I wasn't even leaning that way or thinking about that. But that's a pretty good candidate. Who were you thinking about besides before before I went to there? You know what? I was having a tough time when the question popped up. I'm like, offensively, I would have to go to somebody in the offensive line. Yeah. And it, it, originally, I'm thinking like, nap, mm, nap, yeah, because he wasn't somebody that was really, you know, the way it went down with him coming in, and you know, no. The way you broke down Prescott, I probably would lean him. It, it would have to be somebody in the offensive line that would be between Knapp and Prescott. But, yeah, the way you broke it down. For, for Knapp, that was just – Knapp was very similar to the Civiliano thing, right, in different reasons, right? A lot of people came off a of disappointment of another guy in 24 at the same position, and then his Civiliano, and he kind of, like, took a hit because of that, in my opinion, initially, from a lot of evaluators that watched this camp. And then you continue to watch this kid work throughout the spring and summer. And like, then you watch a senior film and you're like looking at his production, like, okay, like this kid's upside is, is really good. I think just with Joe Rudolph coming in, you know, his, he was recruiting that before and that wasn't on the radar for Notre Dame really at that time. I think it kind of like threw a screwball if some of the, you know, some of us in the recruiting rankings, like, huh? Yeah. But you watch the kid and it's like, okay, I see what Rudolph right. it's probably just, saw can him, the body his fill out. That's exactly. the question. Exactly. Right. So I was probably leaning nap before you started talking about Prescott, but yeah. They're both good options. I think some other guys, somebody mentioned Teddy Rezac in the chat. That's another one. You know, his floor is kind of low because of the size, but I love mm-hmm. the athleticism. Bodie Cahoon, Cahoon is another one that there's a bit of a gap between the floor and the ceiling right now for me uh, because he's so no. technically raw. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, like he, he's still learning. He's only playing linebacker for one year, one and a half years. Like there's a lot of room for him, which is exciting because. As an evaluator, you know, what's harder to do for a high school kid? Raise the floor or increase the upside? Raise the floor. Okay. Yeah, because the, raising the floor is a lot about weight room stuff. It's about learning a position. You you rarely – like the, the Will Fullers are rare. Mm-hmm. The guys that like just become way more athletic and explosive when they get to college. Right. Like like Will Fuller said, I was – I mean, I was at the – I've said this before. I was at the Under Armour uh, camp. What is it? The opening several years ago. So when Robert right. Hainsey was a rising senior. And during like the testing portion, they were like given names of old former players. And obviously Will Fuller was two years removed from college and he was a first round draft pick. So he was a hot name at the time and he was at the opening yeah. and they were giving all the times of guys that performed at the opening. And they said, well, Will Fuller was like a four five, two. Well, the opening gives inflated times anyway. Mm-hmm. And Will Fuller before his senior year of college ran a four five, two. When he went into the NFL, he ran a four three, two, right? He'll say I was not this fast in, in high school for whatever reason. He raised his ceiling. Something happened. You just, yeah. you just don't see that very often, mm-hmm. right? Like a guy like Bryce Young didn't necessarily raise his ceiling. It's just his floor was raised enough because sometimes your floor can be so low that it impacts your ceiling. Like it's impossible for a guy to go here to here, right? Because he's so raw. So yes, te- the 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 ceiling because the ceiling is based on what's your body type, what's your size, what's your athleticism, and you just don't see guys like the Brian Urlachers are rare. 
you don't see guys grow three, four inches and gain 40 no. pounds while no. running four fours yeah. during their college careers. You just don't see that very often. You know, like Anthony Davis, you know, like we'll if you look at him, yeah, it was a 5'11", 6-foot point guard as a ninth yeah. grader, became a six. You just don't see that kind of, you know, that kind of crazy jumps. Yeah. You'll see it every now and then. And so that's why I say the ceiling is harder to, to raise significantly. You go from four and a half to five, you don't see very many guys go from three and a half to five ceiling, but right. you'll see guys go from three and a half floor to ceiling, five ceiling. Yeah. That to me is because like with Joe Walt, you you saw the tools, but you're like, can this kid gain this 30 kid pounds right. and still be that athletic? He gained 50 and was that athletic, right? Stayed that athletic. That was crazy. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that he could be 322 pounds and be that kind of athlete. You had to see it. That's That's a floor conversation, but the ceiling was always – I was off on his ceiling because I didn't have him as a five-star, but as a four-and-a-half-star. So, like, I wasn't that far off. I had him as a four-and-a-half-star upside guy, right? Not a four, yeah. but the floor was a lot lower. So, to me, yeah. the floor can be impacted by those things much more than, than the ceiling. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.